Alaziz's first goal for Portsmouth. Into the path of Smithrow, into the box. Smithrow scores! A really deserved first goal in Huddersfield Town Colours. We're back with another episode of Away From Hail End. We had nearly all of our lone players feature this week. Arsenal got another huge win, which was a little controversial. I think we'll go as far as to say. I don't think VAR made any mistakes. Obviously, the whole VAR thing to start the match with the delay was just bizarre. But we'll take the three points. Top of the league. Manchester City lost. Tottenham losing to Manchester United as I record right now. But what's most important is that our players are firing on loan for the most part, although some firings of head coaches have made the outlook a little bit blurry for a couple of our players. But let's start with the guy we've been going with all year, one of the hottest scorers in Europe, Fuller and Balagoon. You know, he played 90 minutes at striker in a nil-nil draw with Lorient. Uh, Reims got two red cards in this match, bringing their tally to eight red cards in 11 matches. 10 total between both teams in those 11 matches. And you just have to say, for him to score six goals in 11 matches, with his team getting red cards in seven of those matches, it's pretty insane. Uh, You know, a team like that, fighting relegation, likely not getting many opportunities when they have all 11 men on the pitch, definitely not getting many opportunities when they don't. It's really, it's quite impressive what he could be doing at another club. I mean, look at Nuno Tavares. He's had a great loan spell at Marseille, one of the better sides in League One. They play an attacking style of football. They're going forward. Those highlight his best strengths. Fulham Balagoon has had to adapt and change his game, both at Burrow and now here at Stade de Rems. And you know what? He's done really well. This was not his best match. Again, they were down two men at a certain point. He only had one shot off target in this match. Nine of 16 passing. Only won two of 18 ground duels. Uh, As you can tell, he was really fighting for his life in this match. Fighting for the team's life in this match. Trying to get involved. Trying to win the ball at feet. Only winning one aerial duel. Was fouled twice as he has been most matches. He's gotten very physical. He had to play a lot of this match in his own third. Obviously down a man, down two men. Defending for their lives. To come out with a nil-nil draw wasn't bad. Hoping to help that team stay up. Uh, But, you know, as I said, if Reims are going to be down a man for every match, you know, it doesn't help a striker's performance. The delivery into him was not great in this match. And hopefully, moving forward, they can figure something out. Uh, Obviously, it's been well documented that in League 1 and in League 2 this year, um, there have been more red cards than in any other leagues in the world. Uh, The French refs, I don't know what it is, have been calling more red cards. Bizarre situation. But, you know, not Balagoon's best match, but we move forward. He's had a great start to the year, hopefully staying productive. And he said some interesting things as I'm sure many of you saw, about his potential international future. Uh, As an American myself, United States fan, would love to see him play striker in that system. And obviously not nearly as much competition at the striker role for the United States as there would be for England. I'm sure it's his dream to play for England as a striker, and I think he could accomplish that. But will that be in two years, three years? I mean, with Harry Kane scoring... Uh, abilities not changing at all, becoming a more complete player as the year seemed to go on. Obviously, a bunch of other young English talent coming through. He could go join the United States and play striker in a system that suits his skills to their best. We have a very fluid front four system with Pulisic, Reyna, and Aronson kind of rotating across that front three, uh, supporting a striker, a striker who needs to be able to help in build up, play with his back to goal, but also get opportunities to score goals whipped crosses coming in, headers, first-time goals, the kind of goals that Flo has been scoring at Reims this season. 
playing for the USA makes a lot of sense for him. He was born in New York. He was born in the Bronx. Uh, you know, he mentioned he, he hasn't made that decision. To me, it kind of makes sense for him to play for the United States of America because, number one, he could play at this World Cup. I know he has never played for them, and that's a bit odd to see first-time selection play for a new country. But it, it wouldn't even be a question. The strikers in the United States are not firing right now. Pepe is finally playing well in the Eredivisie. That's a good start. Uh, we have a couple other players. Haji Wright in the Turkish League playing well. Uh, obviously, we have, you know, Josh Sargent, who's had a good year in for Norwich, but hasn't been great overall for the United States. Fulham and Balogun's the biggest prospect at that position the United States would have had in the history of the uh, of their soccer team. And in the last 30 years, they've continued to get better. He'd be the first perfect player. Alter, you can say what you want about him as a coach. Not a huge fan of him, but he has been great at recruitment. I would love to see him. Would love to see him recruit Flo and get that done. I don't think it'll happen before the World Cup. And then you're probably going to have to wait a couple years before Flo makes that decision, unless he breaks into the English first team. Um, you know, I know the U.S. have been after him. I know... You see it on social media, you know, Yunus Munsa, obviously a player who is at Hayland with Flo, trying to get him to come, and many other players, but we shall see. He has represented the USA at the under uh, youth levels, but, you know, obviously his dream to play for England. Speaking of dual nationality players, Miguel Aziz is one of those guys. Uh, obviously of English descent, but also of Spanish descent, speaks fluent Spanish, and in the Spanish Second league right now on loan with Ibiza. Played 90 minutes in a 2-1 loss to Ibar. Again, showing his range of passing, his volume of passing. 34 of 40 passing in this match. 5 of 7 on long balls. He had one key pass. He won a ground duel out of his three ground duels that he faced. Uh, this was the most comfortable game I've seen him on the ball. No question about it. He was dribbling past opponents. More willing to take a man on, take a defender out, and then progress play. He looked not only to feed towards the wings, but to play through the middle, play in the half spaces. Uh, this match actually played a little bit more on the right side uh, versus where he's kind of been playing in a left center mid role, which would be where Arsenal probably have been trying to uh, make him if he doesn't become a six. Obviously, the long-term goal for Per Mertesacker has been to move Miguel Aziz to that number six role. Uh, and he did actually get to do that in the second half as Ibiza were chasing the game. Uh, he moved into a lone pivot at six for the first time this season playing almost in between the two center backs in build-up, coming into those little pockets of space, and then spraying the ball with no hesitation across the pitch. Uh, he has a real, real knack for flicking the ball onto when he isn't looking. He's very good at scanning before he receives the ball and catching defenders out by using little flicks, whether it's a back heel, a flick over the head, uh, whether it's one touch into space and, and a quick second-touch pass. Uh, he really has been a little bit overconfident at times, and it's looked good, and, and it's come off 99, 99% of the time, I would say it's come off for him. He has had a few times where he's looked a little bit too confident in his teammates, putting them in difficult positions, something he will learn uh, from his mistakes. He has not had to pay for it yet, although Abiza did give up a few chances two times in this match uh, because of decisions that Aziz made where he passed all those teammates who were open, but, but a little bit too much confidence in them and their technical abilities, but it's great to see Aziz oozing that confidence and not shying away from the physical side of the game, happy to put a foot in, happy to intercept the ball, reads the game really well, uh, and again, putting in a great shift in this match and was able to play, as I mentioned, as a lone pivot six, something that Arsenal have been trying to do for him. Uh, he has some experience at the youth level doing that. I don't think that's his best long-term uh, goal. I, I think he's so good in the attacking third that that would limit his abilities, but obviously with you know all we've seen with Thomas Partey missing so much time, you might, you might see 
Arsenal keep pushing this agenda of Aziz as a six. He did play another match this week, playing 73 minutes in a 2-0 loss to Cartagena. Uh, again, volume passing was high in this match, getting on the ball a lot, looking to get on the ball even when he doesn't have to. Coming to the ball, trying to be the guy forcing the agenda, trying to you know create quick counterattacks, something that is a big strength of his. A 73 minutes at a 2-0 loss, as I mentioned. 31 of 37 passing, completed four of his six long balls, had a shot on target. Uh, we've mentioned a lot, and everybody has seen he's able to score from outside the box with both feet. This match, he had a real rip from with his left foot from seven or eight yards outside of the box. Unfortunately, right at the keeper, but made excellent contact. Uh, and, you know, it, it's good to keep the keeper honest. It's good to keep the defense honest. If they don't feel they can give you space, that'll create more passing lanes. So your ability to get in behind, the ability for the striker to get open in front of goal, which is what's more important. Uh, again, I really liked his physical qualities and confidence in this game. It's great to see a player who didn't have a great loan spell previously. Sometimes that can knock you back, just not in terms of your ability on the pitch and your fluidity on the pitch, but your confidence and your ability to step up to that level. And he has shown his confidence physically and technically for Ibiza. Again, he scans really, really well. Never surprised by where a defender is. And he often catches the defenders out by surprise. Uh, actually thought he was best in the final 30 minutes against Ibar, playing that lone six role. As I mentioned, he, he really did look good spraying the ball in that role. Uh, as far as these two matches go, that was my favorite spell uh, for him. But it will limit his ability to score from distance. It will limit his ability to carry the ball you know, into the box, carry the ball into the final third, play in the half spaces where he has been at his best as a youth player. But it's good to see that there is still that opportunity for him to convert to a six long term. Speaking of the six versus eight debate, every time I post about Charlie Patino, people ask, is he the future number six at Arsenal? And the answer is he's not. And that's a good thing. You don't want Charlie Bettino playing there. Yes, he probably could. He's intelligent and skilled enough to play wherever you put him in midfield. But you do not want to limit a player like him to that role. He is just, quite frankly, too good of a volume passer. He is too good of a player. He can have the defensive contributions as a number eight that you see as a number six. He can have the passing and control of the game that you see from a number six and from a number eight. These are very different roles but you can have similar skill sets and succeed in both positions. Charlie Patino is a game controller. Charlie Patino is a Frankie de Jong. He is not a Thomas Partey. Obviously, that's a bad example because of the physical qualities and the different things they bring to the game. And Thomas Partey wasn't always a lone pivot six. But Charlie Patino has shown a level of grit and a level of toughness for an 18-year-old in the championship, one of the toughest physically challenging leagues in the world, that I this match against Sheffield United, which, by the way, was a classic, a championship classic. It, it was just crazy on both ends. High-flying, tons of goals, tons of challenges. Ended up with four red cards in this match, three or four red cards in this match. By when all was said and done, 11 extra minutes, an equalizer in the 98th. Everything you could ask for in a championship match, this had. And Charlie Patino stood up to the test and gave his heart and soul to this match and played quite well. 90 minutes, as I mentioned, in a 3-3 draw with then top of the table Sheffield United, who are now tied at the top with Burnley, but just behind on one on goal differential. 22 of 36 passing, one of one on his crosses he has taken their corner kicks, as I've mentioned. He had a shot off target and just was by the near post. Four ground duels won. He was fouled twice. He had four clearances, two interceptions, and two tackles. 
He had to show his physical side of the game, something that I've spoken about a lot on this podcast as a worry going into the season just because of his frame, which has filled out quite a bit. And for a a kid, a a literal kid, a child, an 18-year-old to go into the championship and show this kind of grit was unbelievable. He did not shy away from anything in this match, going to ground, getting into challenges, picking up fouls, fouling the other opposition when necessary. He was just all in, balls to the wall. This was the toughest opponent he had faced in any way this season. Physically, they dominated the pitch against them. They went, Blackpool went down 2-0 in this match early on. They could have easily backed away and taken this fat L. But Charlie Patino and the rest of his team did not. Went on to score three consecutive goals to take a lead. He was smart on the ball. Tried to th- make things happen. You have to read the match and play the match that you're in, not play yourself. And Charlie Patino did just that. They were down 2-0. It wasn't time for, you know, small passes here and there and gaining possession. Blackpool weren't getting into the game. They weren't able to hold possession. So Charlie Patino tried to play balls into the channel. He tried to find teammates making runs. He tried to play forward and play aggressive and play progressive, and he did that really well. It wasn't his most accurate passing match, but that's not always a bad thing. This team was really struggling to create for that first 30 minutes and the last 30 minutes, and Charlie Patino played a full 90 minutes of creative midfield, strong and defensive midfield. He did everything that you could ask from a midfielder in this match. He made some great interventions in his own box to prevent Sheffield United from scoring. He basically got an assist on the third goal that gave Blackpool the lead, making a pass into the box that got deflected to his teammate for a 1v1 with the keeper. He was making a great slide slide rule pass that the defender got a foot to. It came right to his other uh, teammate who had an easy, easy goal to score. He showed his passing range with some longer balls from deep in his own third across the field to the right wing. He got forward to rip a shot, as I mentioned, on the break just wide of the near post, covered tons of ground, helped the team keep possession as they tried to see out the match, which they unfortunately were unable to do. But again, this isn't necessarily Charlotte Patino's best match on the ball, but this was the match that I was most impressed by and to me shows signs of guarantees. It shows signs that this is a player who, when he needs to get dirty and get tough, can do that. We know what he can do on the ball. We know he's an elegant player. But the question has always been, can he stand up to the physical toughness of English football? And this showed that there is nothing to worry about in that department. Tyrese John Jules continues to show his versatility, playing in many different areas on the pitch, playing in different competitions, playing different amount of minutes, off the bench starting, giving it his all. You know, the strikers that we have, it's just unbelievable at Hale End. It really is. And Tyrese John Jules just makes the most of every opportunity that he gets at. You can tell he feels that this is finally a chance where he, where he gets to play and show what he's got. Played 24 minutes, a 1-0 loss to Lincoln as Ipswich have slipped down the table just a touch, no longer in first place. He had a shot off target, 6 of 7 passing, a key pass, uh, which led to a nice shot on target that unfortunately did not give Ipswich... Uh, a draw in this match. He won a ground duel and a tackle in this 24 minutes. Uh, and, you know, his movement is really quite excellent. When he gets to play as a striker, I think I mentioned this on the last episode, his movement in the box really help it, helps his team open up shooting lanes for teammates as they're chasing the game, when they're ahead, when they're behind, whatever it is. Tyrese John Jules is a very intelligent player. He's really, really smart. He knows how to move around. He knows how to find space. He knows how to drag defenders away. Uh, and that's what I think... Ipswich misses sometimes when they don't play him as a striker. I think that's really where he can be most effective both on and off the ball. Uh, Tyrese John Jules played 45 minutes as a right winger in a 1-0 loss to Cambridge later in the week in the EFL Trophy. Uh, Ipswich had already gone through. This match didn't mean too much. They got an early red card, so 
wasn't a lot for Tyrese to do. He did have a shot on target early in the match, finding himself some space in the right side of the box, just at the edge of the box. Shot with his weak foot, strong, but right at the keeper. And it really reminded me, which I, I don't know how I forget sometimes, but he's so two-footed, whether it's receiving the ball, passing the ball, shooting the ball. Tyrese John Jules is quite excellent with both feet, which is a really impressive thing. And it adds to his versatility that I mentioned at the beginning of this segment. He can play anywhere across the front line because not only can he make runs in behind and come back to the ball, not only can he use both feet, not only is he a scorer and, an, and a creator, he, he's everything. He's a very, very complete center forward, which we've always known about him. It's always been about consistency. Uh, and, you know, again, he made some really nice runs off the back shoulder of the defender. Completely different type of movement that he had in the previous game. He just, he really tries new things, and he's an adventurous player and, and such a technically skilled player that it, it's such a blast to watch him. Uh, Ryan Alabiosu, as we mentioned last week, back and fit, featuring for Kilmarnock. Uh, 62 minutes at right wing back in a nil-nil draw with St. Mirren. A very nice match for him here. A really good going forward. 25 of 30 passing actually ripped two shots in this match off target. He's really, as I'm going to mention in this next match, where I actually think he played a lot better, he's really enjoyed coming inside. He's really enjoyed coming onto his left foot and taking defenders on in that way versus using the sideline. And that's a little bit surprising. When you play with a five at the back and as a right wing back, you more often than not see that winger kind of, that wing back kind of use his heels along the sideline, you know, kind of hug that sideline, drag defenders out. But I think Alabiosu has done that really well positionally, and then as a defender starts to commit, has been able to use his powerful running, his, his powerful first touch and control to move the ball inside and create for Kilmarnock, who the first half of the season really struggled to create a lot, uh, and that's really kind of changed things for them. Uh, he had a successful dribble in this match. He won four ground duels and an aerial duel, one tackle, although he was dribbled past once. And as I mentioned, I wanted to talk more about this second match he had in the 2-1 the win over Dundee United in the League Cup, getting Kilmarnock into the semifinals. He played 90 minutes, again went on two really, really, really nice runs inside. Uh, he went on a really nice run early in the match, cutting inside, then a nice outside of the right foot pass into the box. Player could have easily shot, but recycled play and then nearly got an assist uh, on an in-swinging cross to the back post. Albiosu, when he does that, not only does he bring in the left back, or whoever's defending out there, but he brings in a midfielder who's then chasing. So once you've gotten those two guys, then you have to have a center back who has to decide whether to step up to Alabiosu and prevent him from running all the way into the box, or to watch that runner. And often they get caught in no man's land, which allows Alabiosu to make that pass in. And he did that twice in this match. The second goal came from this action that Ryan started, again making a run inside, getting the ball into the box, which then resulted in a cross-end goal. You really have to credit... Ryan Alabioso a lot for Kilmarnock's uptick in creativity over the last few weeks and the last month. They really had a rough start to the year. Obviously, those matches with Celtic and Rangers that we covered where they got nothing going, 23-25% possession, absolutely dominated, home or away, did not matter. That has changed a lot now. Kilmarnock are into the semifinals in the League Cup with this win. It meant a lot to that team. You could see them celebrating after the final whistle. Really happy for them and great great experience for Alabioso. Hopefully, they can make the finals. Nothing like playing a cup final no matter what league you're in. And nothing is more exciting to me than Nikolai Moeller finally being healthy. You guys know I have an obsession with his ability, and I'm just excited to see what his future is. Obviously, nobody, there are not many players who are as tall as he is, who can control the ball as well as he can, who can run as powerfully as he can. He played 16 minutes at striker in a 3-0 win over Jong, 
AZ. AZ Alkamar's youth team, obviously. Uh, 50, 5 of 7 passing, 2 of 2 aerial duels won. I don't think he has lost an aerial duel since he's back from injury the second time. I have to double-check that. Don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure that's the situation. I mean, no huge surprise. He's six foot five, and amazing, amazing at reading balls in the air, amazing at pinning defenders so that they have no chance at winning those balls the way that he does. Came in for the second half then of the cup match and scored the winner. That's what I'm most excited about. He received the he played the full 45 minutes, which first of all is huge, not only for the health reasons, but playing that first 45 minute, that final 45 minutes is so so huge because. When you play 15, 16 minutes, when you play 12 minutes, you don't really get a chance to grow into the match. You just don't. You're coming on either to see how to win or to chase the game. The game is completely up in the air. It's not a normal match. It's not what you practice in training. It's a completely different thing. When you come in and get to play an entire half of football, you get the chance to make your imprint on that match. You get a chance to get a few touches, grow into the game. Not everything is so rushed. Not everything is frantic. It's a regular, it's like almost playing a full match. It's like playing 60 minutes, starting and playing the second 15 minutes. You get to grow into the game. You get to come on fresh legs in the second half, but everybody's kind of coming out of the halftime break. Everybody's got to regrow into the game. Those first five minutes are very similar to the first five minutes of the match. And I think that made the big difference here. But the goal that Nikolai Muller scored is very impressive to me. This is a kid who had had a really tough last couple of years. He has gotten injured everywhere he's gone. He's had tough loan spells in the third division of Germany. He had a tough loan spell last year at Den Bosch where he wasn't getting the service that a striker needs. He goes to Den Bosch again because he wants consistency. He hits the ground running, scoring five goals in the preseason. And unfortunately, in one of the last trainings before the season starts, he picks up a foot injury that keeps him out of the starting eleven a foot injury that keeps him from playing on and off, gets him on the bench, then he gets hurt again, isn't feeling healthy. He's finally healthy and showing it. He receives the ball just before the halfway line. Comes to his feet. He's got a defender on his back. He takes one flick of the ball over on to the right side of the defender, his left shoulder. He then carries the ball from the halfway line all the way into the box. Defenders close him down to a tight angle. He scores the goal, the winning goal, to move... Denbosch along in the cup. It meant the world to him, his family. I'm in contact with them. They're very excited about it. He is very excited to be back in scoring. And this is the most powerful running I have seen from him since he was signed by Arsenal. I'm not going to say I've ever watched him before Arsenal signed him. He was great when Arsenal first signed him for the Youth Academy. I think his physical attributes made him too much of a handful for any kid. But I've never seen him run with such power the way he ran here. He took maybe six dribbles from the halfway line all the way into the box. No chance of slowing down. First touch was strong. Every touch as strong as the next. Finishing. If you have this kind of height and this kind of power, and you can run like this with the ball at your feet, there's not a lot that's going to be able to stop you. And Nikolai Moeller showed that here. He is an incredibly interesting prospect, one that everybody needs to be watching out for. If he can stay healthy and if he can stay consistent, there is a lot to come from Nikolai Moeller. Staying in the Netherlands. Mika Biarith got to play again. Unfortunately, did not get to start in this match after having such an unbelievable showing against Groningen. 20 minutes in a nil-nil draw with Fortuna. Uh, two of three passing, one of one on aerial duels, one of two on ground duels and a tackle. Only got six touches of the ball, unfortunately. But they do have a cup match this week. I would expect Mika to get the start uh, for Walwick and hopefully get his chance to continue that goal-scoring form that we know he has. Again, we'll just stay in the Netherlands. We have one more player there, Omar Rekik. He got eight minutes in a 2-0 win over 
Nemogen. I'm not going to pretend like I know how to pronounce that. One touch of the ball, and it was a misplaced pass. I'm not going to even... It's not debatable anymore. Omar Rekic is, is going to be coming back to Arsenal in January and hopefully going back on loan somewhere else. This has been a real disappointment for me. This was maybe the loan I was second or third most excited for this year. Uh, he's such an interesting player with his ball-playing abilities, and, and in a league where center backs are, are ball players, uh, you know, I talked a lot about it in preseason. I feel a little bit silly, but I don't feel that I misjudge the situation. I think I judge it the way that Arsenal judged it. They didn't expect it to be like this. He has no place in a side where both center backs are over 32 years old. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You would think Sparta Rotterdam would want to play him as much as possible, and if he's great for them, they, they buy him for cheap, and, and, and he succeeds in a league where his skills would be excellent. But unfortunately, not what we've seen. Hopefully, he's still going to make the Tunisia World Cup squad. Maybe he'll get a chance to play there. That would be awesome for him after what's been a really tough year. Uh, but expect him to come back after the World Cup to Arsenal and, and go out on loan somewhere else. Uh, staying in defense, Harry Clark. Even though we scored that winner, I mean, that game-tying goal against Burnley a couple weeks ago, still not back starting since his injury, just nine minutes at right wing back in a 2-0 win over Preston. He has been coming on to see out games mostly. Three or four passing, five touches of the ball, not much else to write home about. Alex Kirk has regained his uh, starting position. Uh, he, They had not lost... Our United had not lost yet this year when Alex Kirk played until this match. 2-1 loss at Dundee FC. All the plaudits are of his play and how solid he's been at the back, seemingly getting on very well there. A lone spell that was an interesting one going in. Now to cover our goalkeepers, Tom Smith played in a 2-1 loss to Hereford as Bromley went out of the FA Cup, unfortunately. He gave up a goal from a free kick. Probably should have done a little better there. Didn't start moving until a little bit too late, but he couldn't really see it coming over the wall. Uh, a little bit harsh to say he should have done better, but I do think he, he probably should have at least gotten a hand to that. Uh, a long way out. To get beaten from that way, that far way out, not great. He did make a great save late in the half uh, after his own t- teammate put him in a really terrible position, but then conceded from a late corner where the ball was just kind of pinballing around the box and somehow crept in. He seemed real frustrated at his defense for that one, and I would have been too. Ovi Ejahiri, also down there uh, under the top four leagues in the National League South, put in a 2-0 win over Aldershot Town in FA Cup, made a nice save to tip a curling shot over the bar in the late late in the first half, made an unbelievable save from a header inside the six-yard box, incredibly reactionary save, got his hands up and it just hit him and he was able to keep it out, uh, made another awesome save on a low shot across the box, did just enough to push it away and stop the oncoming runner who would have had a top-in goal, pushed it just far enough away from him, so a great, great save from Ovi here. he seems to have really nice awareness in the box, and another Another amazing save on a header inside the six, looping over his head, but he reached back to grab it, stopped it from going in, didn't let a rebound from a nearby opponent. He's done really well. Uh, he's done really had really good awareness in the box. He's been probably Chelmsford's best player uh, so far this year. He's kept out so many goals that you would most, most of the time see. A lot are really quick reaction saves, uh, which I honestly hadn't seen a lot from him at Hale End. Uh, he just hadn't had a lot of opportunities to make those kinds of saves. And he's been really good to be in the right position. I would say the best thing from him has been his positioning and awareness in the box, not only to make saves, but to make saves and keep the ball away from oncoming runners, to not just parry it right next to him, but to actually stop goals from going in the net, not just on the first shot, but on every shot and opportunity. Uh, Arthur Nkunku, who's had a little bit more of an up-and-down period here, 3-0 loss to Tranmere. He made four saves, uh, two of those coming inside the box, and a punch. 
Uh, not his best distribution in this match. 24 of 40 passing, 5 of 20 on long balls. He did make a solid save early in the match from a shot from distance, hitting it over the bar. Uh, the resulting corner ended in a goal. After that, horrific defending, nothing he could do there. Made a nice save from distance on a low, hard shot. Again, I've mentioned this probably every podcast, but teams seem to love to shoot from distance against Arthur and Conquo because of pretty much the struggles he had early in the season. The second goal was a tough one to concede. Maybe could have claimed the cross, but he didn't. Uh, he didn't move out from his net at all, and he just left a pretty much a free header. Again, pretty poor marking from his defense. He did do well, though, to deal with a lot of hard shots with some knuckle on them uh, and not leave any rebounds, which is huge. Third goal came from a deflected cross. Nothing he could do there. Uh, and then he sat out the AFL Trophy match. 1-0 loss to Tranmere as well. Uh, and that saw them go out of the competition. Brooke Norton Cuffey, usually we talk about him earlier in the show. Uh, he was on the bench for a 2-1 win over Huddersfield. Just normal rotation. Played so many matches. He had that slight injury that he picked up, I don't know, three, four weeks ago. I think they just wanted to rest him. Comes back in 90 minutes in a 1-0 win over Stoke. He did 14 of 16 passing, 3 out of 4 successful dribbles, 6 out of 12 ground duels won, and 3 tackles. He was dribble pass for the first time in a couple months. Uh, He looked very lively going forward, though. I think this was a great match for him going forward. Not his best defensively, but we've seen him struggle a little bit in areas that we aren't used to seeing him struggle in and do better in areas that we aren't used to seeing him do better in. That's what happens. I think a lot of that kind of had to do with going up back five versus back five. Stoke playing that back five as well. Uh, I think that sees him get a little bit more isolated, playing a little bit wider defensively, but also gives him that same opportunity going forward. So it taketh and it giveth. Uh, but an overall good match for Brooke Norton Cuffey. Marcelo Flores, we're going to now cover a couple of players who are in some weird positions. Marcelo Flores on the bench for a 1-0 loss with Albasate. Uh, this loan spell not quite worked out the way Flores and Arsenal thought. I think Flores wanted to go on loan to help himself make the Mexican national team for the World Cup. Uh, Oviedo have really struggled. They've sacked their manager. Uh, They haven't won a match since September 5th. The new manager maybe will give Marcelo Flores some chances. Marcelo Flores shouted him out on Instagram, said thank you very much for giving me my first senior appearances. I think that's the right thing to do. Uh, but he had kind of fallen out of favor there. Oviedo just struggling. We will see what's next for Flores there. Another player, and this one's probably even more unfortunate the manager was sacked, was Mazid Ongungbo at Crawley Town. Kevin Betsy and Dan Matiche have already gotten the sack. Uh, they left Arsenal's youth setup. They left Hale End this summer to go coach together at Crawley Town. Obviously, Betsy was with the U23s, uh, and, and Matiche was with the under-18s. Uh, and they were both fired. Crawley only six points in 12 matches, um, sitting in the relegation zone. They they had nine. They are nine points now. It's not a good situation. I honestly feel for Kevin Betsy. Um, he took a risk, I guess, taking this role. He was doing really well at Hale End. Might have done better for him to get to manage for another year or two before going on to a senior manager role. I don't know. What sucks for them is probably to go to a different academy. Uh, they did great at Hale End, and I have the utmost respect for them and, and their process and, and everything that they have done. But now Mazina Gungbo, who was brought there by Betsy to play in that left center back role, has not made a squad since his red card on September 20th. So what's going to happen next for a Gungbo is unclear. I, I don't know that there's opportunity for him at Crawley Town without Kevin Betsy a day. Doesn't seem so far that there is. Hasn't made the squad in either match since Bensi's sacking. So therefore, I would think Agungbo probably on the list of players with potential recall 
in January. We will see what happens there, but that would be my guess. Feel bad for him. Uh, again, nothing you can do about that. Tim Akinola, the curse is back on the bench uh, for the 3-0 win over Anti Nomads in the FA Cup. No, more likely than not, there was just rotation for the FA Cup. Salah Adid Ulad Amhan still out due to injury, and that covers it for this week. Um, another great episode, another great week for our players. Nikolai Muller getting a goal, probably the highlight for me this week. And just wanted to let everyone know I have started a TikTok account now. Never really done that before. You can find me at the same at, at Balladgunner14. Hailend Productions is the name of the account. I'll be posting kind of clips from here, the analysis that I do on top of some of the videos of the actual events that I'm talking about should be pairing well together. We'll do some just straight highlights on there. We'll do some just straight talking of podcasts on there. Gonna mix it up a little bit. Tell me if there's stuff you want to see on there. I think it could just be fun. New way to interact. Kind of a different format. Allows for some more long-form analysis and creativity. Excited about it. Please throw me a follow over there if you listen to the podcast. Please share that with uh, other people who you know might be interested in it. And I'll be back next week with another episode of Away From Hail End.